Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. We're continuing on in our vision series. We're talking about the vision of redeeming hope, and it's actually here at the bottom of your handout. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him as we live all of life as missionaries of hope. And so our first week, Pastor Derek talked about the idea of faith, faith in Jesus as the foundation of our church and what we do. Then we talked about the idea of family, how we see ourselves, how we see this community as a family. Then we talked about following, how being a disciple is following the life and teachings of Jesus, walking in obedience, taking up our cross, and following Christ. And today, we are talking about helping others find him, or finding Jesus. And this is our community's relationship with the community around us. How do we view people that are not here right now? Why do we have empty chairs? Because we want more people to come. (laughs) Why do we have chairs in the back? Because we're prepared for even more people to come. And so how do we interact with the world around us? How do we interact with our community around us, our relationship to the world? And as we look at the Bible, there's many different themes of a follower of Jesus and who they are. Um, There's a son and a daughter. And so we relate to God as father. They're citizens where we relate to God as king and we're coming in under his kingdom. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's another theme of being co-heirs with Christ where Christ is seen as our perfect older brother that allows us entryway and then offers us to be co-heirs, inheritance with him, with Christ's work for us. But there's also another theme, and this is the one we're looking at today, which is that we are missionaries or ambassadors and the world around us is a mission field. And so we're missionary ambassadors, and the world around us is a mission field. But you're saying, Josh, wait a minute. We're not in Papua New Guinea. We're not talking about going to Africa. We're, we're here in Clarksville. Well, that's kind of the point, is that we live our lives as missionaries, where God has planted us, where he's rooted us, right here in Clarksville. And the question is, how do we go out today and live like missionaries in Clarksville that help others find Jesus? And so with that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, we're going to be talking about three points today. Why we go, how we go, and the ultimate joy. Why we go, how we go, and the ultimate joy. So we come to the first point, which is why do we go? Why do we even want to help others find Jesus? What's the point? And uh, we, we, even when we do topical series like we're doing right now, we always center them in a text of Scripture. We want our, our sermons to be saturated in the Scripture and actually flow out of a specific Scripture. So even though um, we're going to jump back into Mark here in a few weeks and we'll walk through those texts, um, we always root a, a passage, we always root a sermon in a passage of Scripture. And so today is in Luke 10, but we're kind of jumping in there. So let me give you a little context. Um, Jesus has been sending, preparing, and sending his disciples in the book of Luke. And so he's already sent the 12 disciples out on a missionary journey. Now this is the second missionary journey, and he's expanding the net to include 72 others. 
And we have this really beautiful and interesting interaction between Jesus and these 72 disciples where they, he coaches them, he gives them a vision, he coaches them, they go out, and then they come back to Jesus and he debriefs them. And he's sending them out as missionaries. So that's why we're looking at it today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you have sent us on a mission with you to prepare the way for you. And so I just pray that you take this time, that it would be your words and your message that we hear today. In your name, amen. So Jesus is with his disciples. And I've used this term before, and I'm going to use it again. The disciples are knuckleheads, okay? They have absolutely no clue what's going on. Um, they're not like, if you kind of look at the, the, the old school classical pictures of disciples from antiquity, they're like balding and they're old men and they got furrowed brows and, you know, gray beards. Like that's, that's not who they were. Like most of these guys were probably teenagers or late teens or at most in their early 20s. And they have absolutely no clue what Jesus is doing. But Jesus, of course, has a strategy to teach them. He has a strategy to help them know what they need to know in order to spread the church out. And everything that Jesus was doing on earth was to love them, to invite them into deep, intimate relationship with him. He's saying, hey, come follow me for three years. We're going to walk together. We're going to literally like spend every second of our time almost together for three entire years. And then what he's doing is preparing them to be sent out to spread this world-changing message to everyone. I mean, you even look at how we classify time. It's 2024 A.D. in the year of our Lord. He split time. He split how we see time. And so this is a life-changing message, but Jesus goes about doing this in a way that I don't think any of us with our strategic thinking today would have ever chosen to do it. Um, he shares stories that confuse people. He's often misunderstood. He's rejected by the religious leaders of his time. He has a betrayer in his core group, and he knows it. Like, he knows that Judas was going to betray him. He dies at the height of his platform and influence, and at 33 years, he ascends to heaven and leaves the church to these knuckleheads. <laughs> the people have no clue what's been going on for the most part, right? And, and here's the deal. Jesus wants us to carry on his mission. And just like the disciples were knuckleheads, guess what? Sometimes we're knuckleheads too. And so welcome to following Jesus. We're all kind of knuckleheads sometimes. We don't know what's going on. And we just kind of accept that and we say, it's okay. God is empowering us like he did the disciples. And guess what? In the first 300 years of the church, millions of people chose to follow Jesus as a result of those simple few disciples that were following him. And if God can do it then, and he's been doing it for 2,000 years, he's going to do it in Clarksville. And he's going to do it through this little church called Redeeming Hope and our friends in Clarksville as well. Just a couple of points as we consider underneath the why we go is first is that 
Jesus tells them, I want you to go to prepare the way for me. What he's doing is he's sending his disciples out to the cities that he was going to go to. So there's an element of the work of a missionary. The work of these disciples was to prepare the way of Jesus, to prepare people's hearts for Jesus to come in and invite them to follow him. And what we see too is in the first missionary sending in Luke, it was only the 12. But what we see is that the the mission is expanding. We need more people. The harvest is getting bigger and bigger. And so we see in each of these moments, we see that the, the, the number is increasing because the harvest is getting more expansive. And guess what? As we went from 12 to 72 in the book of Luke, guess what? You are a part of that journey as well. You sitting here in Clarksville, Tennessee today are a part of the expansion of God's missionary efforts in the world. And what they're doing is preparing them to meet Jesus. And why? Why, why, do, we, why do we see this? What he says is, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. My friends, this truth bears witness to us today, is that the problem is not that there's not a harvest. The problem is that we need the people to labor to bring in the harvest. And so oftentimes, if you talk with certain missionaries or you talk with certain people, man, that's just really, I've heard this term before, man, that's just really hard soil. That place is just really hard to see people come to follow Jesus. Well, guess what? Everywhere is hard and God's doing the work to grow the harvest. And we see whose harvest is it? It's not our harvest to get. It's actually God's harvest. It's his harvest that he has been working and preparing so that you and I can partner with him and see people come in. So the mission around us, how we engage with the community around us, is God's mission, not ours. It's not even the church's mission. It's God's mission that the church is then coming underneath and is a part of. And Jesus then says two things here as he's instructing his disciples to go out. He says, I want you to pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and go. Like, take a step to go. And the first thing we see is pray, which is kind of interesting. Like, Jesus is saying, get ready. He's getting these 72 to go out to prepare in these cities where he's going to walk. And the first thing he says is pray to the Lord of the harvest. Well, why do we pray? God himself is the one that's sending us. We're not trying to convince God to do anything that he's not already doing. What's the purpose of it? My friends, the prayer is not to change God's heart. It's to change our heart. It's to make us sensitive, to reveal our insecurities, to reveal our weaknesses and fears as we talk and converse with God himself. And when we pray, we begin to realize the reality of of our lives is that we are weak, that we need Jesus. Prayer is saying, I can't do this. I actually need you to enter in. This is humbling. This is the foundational work of mission. This is the foundational work of how we move out into the world to help others find Jesus is to begin to pray and to see our deep need and how God has met our deep need with his grace. And it's from this posture of humility and prayer that we then obey. We move out. We go as sent ones. Courageous actions that leave our comfort zone and we go to others. And notice what Jesus is saying. The command is to go. And it might have been this way about 60 or 70 years ago in the United States. And it might have been this way 60 or 70 years ago in Clarksville. But 
Just because you have a church doesn't mean people will come to it anymore. Just because you have a building doesn't mean that people will come to it. It's not a build it and they will come mentality. We actually go, we need to go out. We need to move out into the world and invite people that would maybe not ever be naturally inclined to step into any environment, whether that's a YMCA or a church building, whether it's a traditional or a contemporary, it doesn't matter. Our job is to go. That's our responsibility as missionaries, to be obedient to Christ, to follow him. And how do we go? It says we go as lambs amongst wolves. So here's an audio daily double. You can respond to me, okay? This is not a rhetorical question. What are wolves known for? When you, if I were to have a wolf here, what would you observe about this wolf? Howling? Yep. It's dangerous. Why is the, why is the wolf dangerous? Because it can bite you. It's got teeth. What else does it have? It's got claws. Okay, I see. I see. Emily and Reese over there going like this. It's got claws. Okay, if I were to bring a sheep here, what would you observe? <laughs> it would bah. It would be white. What is a sheep typically known to have? Wool. It's fluffy wool. Okay, it's it has no offensive weapons. <laughs> like a sheep has nothing, and it really doesn't have defensive weapons. So I guess if its wool was thick enough, I guess that might prevent it from happening, but like, it's just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna stand a chance against a wolf. No way at all. No way. So, but here's the difference, and this is the beauty, is that we're reading through the book of John right now in our church-wide reading plan. What are we seeing? Jesus is saying, I give you living water. (laughs) I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. My friends, that is our hope as we move out into the world. We are the lamb. We are defenseless. But what we have against the wolves of this world around us is we have a good shepherd that cares for us, that loves us, that stays with us and abides with us no matter what. And guess what? The good shepherd trumps the wolf every single time. So we're called to pray. We're called to obey by going. And so those are some reasons why we go. There is a, there is a character building element as we pray. We are humbled as, as we, there's an obedience element as we go. We are being obedient to Christ. But there's actually a third and I think the most important reason why we go, which is the idea of we are invited to go. Two times in this text, he says, Jesus sent them. He sent them at the beginning. He sent them on ahead of him. And he says, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then what's also interesting, he has appointed them. He has, he has appointed the 72. And that language of appointing means to bring forward, to put on display, and to raise up. That's what it means. He has appointed these 72. And what he's done with the 72, he's doing with us. He brings us forward to invite him to come with him on his mission. My dad was the head of HR for the last freestanding paging company in the world called USA Mobility. So they had all pagers. And they still have pagers, you know, in certain places with doctors and all that stuff. And if you have a pager in the United States, you're, there's only one company that's left. And my dad was the head of HR for them a number of years ago. And 
every time that the benefits open enrollment would come, right? So you'd have to sign up for your health insurance and sign up for your dental insurance and vision. Um, they'd have to send all these letters out to the, the whole company, right? And so what my dad would do was he w I would jump in the car with him and we would drive to Alexandria, Virginia, where his office was. And what we do, we'd stop off at Krispy Kreme Donuts and we would get hot and fresh dozen and we would crush a dozen. My dad was a big boy too. And we would crush between him and me a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. My dad would get a big fat coffee. He'd already be smoking a cigar in the car. He'd like crack a window, okay? And we'd be in this smoky cigar. He'd crack a window. He'd be on his like fourth coffee of the morning. All right, we'd get coffee at Krispy Kreme. I'd get a hot chocolate and a box of hot and fresh Krispy Kreme donuts. And we'd go to my dad's conference room and we'd walk in and my dad said, this is your office for the morning. And so we'd sit there and I would have this stack of papers and I would literally fold every single paper. And I, I, he even taught me the way to fold it. You fold it up and back so that when you open the letter up, you see your name in the top left corner. My dad taught me a specific way how to fold letters, which I still do to this day. And he said, this is your office for the day. And so he'd bring his his laptop in there and we would work together and I just fold for hours eating Krispy Kreme donuts all hyped up on sugar and <laughs> hot chocolate. And it was like, and he was on this, it, it, we were able to see the, um, the Potomac River and we saw the, the, the Wilson Bridge and, and it was really a fun time. And actually one year, I didn't even remember this till just now, one year they were uh, redoing the Woodrow Wilson Bridge and they were like dropping these huge piles into the bedrock to like make a new bridge. And you could feel the ground shaking as they were dropping these piles to get into the bedrock to build the bridge. And I remember feeling that, folding these letters for hours, all hyped up on sugar and Krispy Kreme donuts. Why did my dad do this? He had staff that he could have done that. But why? He wanted to spend time with me. There's a machine that you literally have that can fold pieces of paper. And better than I did. But my dad said, I want to spend time with you. And I had these incredible memories of going there with my dad in his hazy, cigar, smoky car um, and spending the Saturdays with him folding these letters. And, and here's the thing. And I just want to make an aside here. Like, we are going to talk about God as a father. And I recognize that maybe some of us in this room don't have that same experience that I have. That some of us maybe don't have as good of, a, of an experience with their dad. And what I want you to know, every father can point you to Jesus. See, my dad was simply a faint reflection of the true love of a father, right? And so I can learn some principles, but it was a faint reflection of the father's true love for me. And guess what? If you had a dad that maybe didn't have, have that, then he's the photo negative. You can look at your experience with your dad and say, this is the photo negative of what God is for me. And so I just want to encourage you guys that that regardless of your experience with your dad, you can reimagine God as a good father, no matter what experience that you had growing up. But you see, going back to this, is this invitation, the sentness that we're called to is to get to go and spend time with dad. Because guess what? There's probably better people to reach your neighbors than you. Like, there's 7 billion people in the world, right? This... I'm not the best church planner or preacher or pastor. Neither is Derek. Like, I think we'd readily admit that. But we're here for a reason. Why? Not because we're the best, not because we're the most qualified. It's because Dad wants to spend time with us.
And the best way to spend time with your Heavenly Father is to be on mission with Him and His Son. Like, that's what He wants to do. That's the invitation to be on mission for Jesus. And it changes us as we pray. It changes us as we go. It changes us as we're sent, chosen by God to go to the people in our proximity. So why do we go? We're sent to go with Dad on a rescue mission to deliver Jesus to the people in our proximity. That's why. So how? How do we go? Two words, and we're going to see in this passage, there's two things that mark the nature of our going. Weakness and power. Weakness and power. Look with me at Luke 10, starting in verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. This is talking about the nature of our going. How do we go is first in weakness. It's really hard to join Jesus when you feel like you don't really need him. And I'd say that this is a temptation for many of us to maybe have an inclination of evangelism or an inclination or a skill set is that we can walk into an environment and say, based on my skill set, based on my unique gifts and talents and spiritual gifts, I can make stuff happen. But it's really hard to go with Jesus. It's really hard to go with him unless you realize that you have a need. And so the first thing he's asking is saying to trust him, walking in weakness. And when you walk in weakness, then you can go places that walking in strength can't take you. Because if you walk in strength, you say, well, I can do this, right? Um, if you're looking at, uh, uh, if you're skiing, right? And you look at, okay, there's like, what's the bunny, the bunny hill? And then there's the, there's the, what is it? Like the green and the yellow. And then there's like the triple black diamond, right? Well, if you're looking at your skills, you're saying, I could never go to the triple, well, at least for me. <laughs> I could never go to the triple black diamond. I would die, okay? Hundo percent. But like, if I'm saying it's my skills, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go to where I feel like my skills can take me. But if I say, I can't even ski, and I've got to rely on somebody else to help me, I can go anywhere. If it's not me doing the one that's skiing, I can go anywhere. Because I'm not the one doing the work. So do you see how when we walk in weakness, we don't have to assess, do I have the skills to do this? Do I have the, is this person really going to respond to me? Is this person really going to come if I invite them? Is this person really going to follow Jesus? There's no way. Well, guess what? There's no way anybody follows Jesus apart from God's sovereign work. And so that's the beauty of it. When it's all his work, we can walk in weakness and we can go, truly, we can go anywhere. And when he says speaking peace, just a side note, that's a giving action, not a taking action. And I think many times, especially within the context of church and the context of mission, I think there can be some motivation to do that based on what it does for me based on how it makes me feel. And when we walk in weakness, we say, well, none of this is possible except for Christ. And then I can say, you know what? I'm going to give and I'm not going to take, which then frees the outcome. So when, and I just thought this was kind of funny as well, the last sentence, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And I was thinking about this in terms of humility and weakness. When you share Jesus, when we share Jesus, when we try to help others find Jesus, um, sometimes the food is steak, 
and sometimes it's warm tuna fish out of a can. Okay, sometimes it's steak and sometimes it's warm tuna fish out of a can. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes you can share Jesus in places where you are elevated to a authority, where people listen to you, where people respond really easy. And a lot of times you find this when you go to third world countries and, and you can walk into a space and, and there's a, there's a, they know that you're coming to share the gospel with them. They know that you're coming from far away. You've made sacrifices and it's, it's actually sometimes easier to share the gospel 3,000 miles away than it is in our backyard right? So sometimes you can go, and it's the steak experience. It's great. People listen, they respond. Sometimes you can share Jesus in places where you're derided, put down, unheard, and people don't immediately respond, or it takes a while. And what I'm saying is, is that when you're doing it for Jesus, and you recognize that you and I are not qualified to do this at all, it's his qualification for us, then guess what? The outcome doesn't matter. Fruitfulness and faithfulness is what matters. I'm going to be faithful to do what God calls me to do. I'm going to labor for the fruit that remains. And when those things matter, then the outcome of your missionary efforts, the outcome of reaching your friends and neighbors, we can leave that to the Lord's hands. So we walk in weakness. Secondly, how do we go? We walk in power. Look with me at Luke 10, 9 to 12. Heal the sick in the city and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What's interesting, and I just want to focus, there's so so many things we could go through in here we don't have the time for, but just I want to focus on that first phrase. Heal the sick in the city and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. My friends, We have a kingdom-centered power to bring healing to the people around us. So I just said we walk in weakness. We walk in dependency. When we do that, it says the same, and for any Christian, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides within you. That same power that caused Jesus to, after three days of death, raise up from the tomb, you and I carry wherever we go. This means that we have immense spiritual power to bring the healing of Christ to the people around us. This is why we do what we do. Because ultimately, when they find Jesus, they find healing. When people find Jesus, they find ultimate healing for their souls. They find healing, emotional healing. Some people find physical healing. They find emotional healing. Some people find financial healing. It all happens when you come to Jesus. He is a healing God. He heals us in so many different ways. And so we leave the nature of that healing up to him. But this is why we do what we do. It's because we know when we come to him, he heals the broken relationship between us and our Father and then invites us to come with him. And so that's a motivation for why we do the things that we do. So typically you share the application at the end of a sermon. I'm going to share the application now because it fits. It fits with the how do we go. So the question posed is, what does weakness and power look like in Clarksville? What does it look like to walk in weakness, dependency, humility? And what does it look like to walk in power in Clarksville? So the first thing is to pray humbly. And I think I can pull back and say, this is just meaning personal abiding with Jesus, spending time with him, coming to him and praying for your friends, neighbors, coworkers, relatives, praying for your own weaknesses, growing in heart character. That's how it starts. That's how mission and weakness 
and power begins in Clarksville. Second, live exceptionally. I want to add a caveat here. Out of the grace of Jesus, out of his transformative power in your own life, as you live a life of character, as you live a life of godliness to the people around you, that is mission in and of itself. Because people are going to look at you and say, man, why are they different? I had a mentor one time. We used to meet up for coffee in Bowie, Maryland. And we'd show up to Bowie, Maryland, and the Starbucks was wild, okay? And so you'd get the coffee, and you know the place where you go, and you get the, the milk and the, and the stirrers and the sugar and the Splenda and all that stuff. That, it's just a nightmare you show up there. It's just milk everywhere, sugar everywhere, stuff all matted down. It's super gross, right? But So my mentor, what he'd do was he would take his coffee, he'd put some milk and sugar in it, and he'd just grab a couple napkins, and he would wipe the entire area down. For no other, he didn't cause it. He didn't do anything about it. That was just who he was. That's like character in really small things. He was preaching a couple weeks later at our church of a couple thousand people, and he was walking up, and they had these big windows, and I was there early setting up, and he walks up, and he just noticed trash on the ground. And he just, these small little acts of character actually build something. People notice that around you. When you care for your neighbors, when someone has a need and you take them a meal, when someone has a hurt and you give them a phone call, when you send a text, when you share a kind word, when you don't share words that you truly want to share, when somebody texts you, like that is an act of kindness. That's an exceptional living. When other people would respond and you choose not to. And so again, all this is caveated with out of the grace of the gospel, out of, out of what Jesus has done for us. That is how you live on mission in Clarksville. That is a way to do that. Third, interact hopefully. There's a way that you can invite people in. It's like, well, I know you're probably busy this weekend. I know you probably got a lot of stuff going on, but, you know, our church is doing a cookout if you want to come. Like, there's a way to invite people that interacts with them hopefully, that actually has a vision for what they could be if they chose to follow Jesus. And a lot of times you get that vision when you pray for people. So if God has given you a neighbor, if he's given you a friend, if he's given you a coworker, if he's given you a family member that you are having a hard time with, or maybe you might be filled drawn towards, praying for them and getting a vision, a hope for who they could be if they chose to follow Jesus helps you interact with them. You can have a holy imagination for them, what their life could be like if they chose to follow Jesus. Interact hopefully. Fourth thing, serve selflessly. And this goes back to, again, we've been served by Christ himself in the ultimate way to save us. And so because of that, we can then be the first person to say, how can I sacrifice? How can I help? How can I take a step towards someone in need? A lot of times people are open to the story of God when they're in transition and when they're in deep need. Because guess what? Their deep need, in a practical way, is exposing the nature of all of our hearts without Christ, which is in deep need. And so your life can almost become an analogy for your own heart that has a deep need. And needing someone else in their need can be a way to truly help them follow Jesus. That's what weakness and power looks like. Two more. One, invite boldly. I just want to encourage you guys. Like, we do things at Redeeming Hope to make it hopefully easier for you to invite your friends, loved ones, neighbors to come to things, right? So we're going to be doing a cookout after Easter. Serve selflessly, invite boldly. Dinners, 
redeeming hope outings, groups, gatherings. And what's the point? Here's why we do that. Just like what the 72 did, we're preparing others to meet Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's our, that's our job. Your job isn't to save anyone. That's God's job. And guess what? He already knows how that's all going to work out at the end of the day. And so our job is to prepare people to meet Jesus. And that's why we have environments in which we do that. Invite boldly. And finally, answer clearly. You know, I, I just want to encourage us too. like, the Christianity was given to us. It is a heart. It is a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with the Father. But it's also, as well, an intellectual pursuit, too. Like, the, God didn't come and give us a YouTube channel. He gave us a book to read, right? And so there's a, an element of being prepared to answer. And actually, this says it right here in 1 Peter 3. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I love that last part, gentleness and respect. But like, like when someone comes up to you and, and asks a question, when you start to engage with people that don't know Jesus, they might ask a question like, how do you even know that Jesus was a real person? I've, I've had that before. Like, how do you even know, what, why do you believe he was raised from the dead? Like, that's like the most core thing that we believe, that Jesus resurrected from the dead as God, right? Like, how does that even work? So being able to answer clearly and taking time to be prepared to interact with people and to use logic in, in a grace-filled way, in a gentle way, in a respectful way. And side note, um, I talked to you guys at the beginning, the failed introduction to my sermon, which was introducing Rudy's, right? <laughs> but the idea was, like, I don't need to, like, be trained in the five steps on why I should share about Rudy's, right? Like, I don't need to go to a training, you know, in, in an evening, like, that tells me why I should share about Rudy's, right? I just love Rudy's. Like, it's a great place. It's got crappy diner coffee, Fat Rudy's like breakfast omelets, right? Like, and if you if I haven't taken you when they open, I will take you, right? It's amazing, um, but I don't need like a training to do that. Why? Because it's changed me. It was like my I have a story about how I came there. I have a a love for it. I know the people there. Like, there's a relational connection there that motivates me to share about Rudy's, right? That's what I want for us. Missions got to flow out of a genuine heart connection and abiding with Jesus. And when you are falling more in love with Jesus, when Jesus is your joy, when Jesus has changed you, when Jesus is giving you food consistently that's better than crappy, greasy diner food, like when he's giving you spiritual nourishment, it actually becomes quite easy to share what he's doing. It becomes a lot more natural. So why do we go? We're sent to go with Dad on a rescue mission to deliver Jesus to the people in our proximity. How do we go? We go in weakness and power. And finally, the ultimate joy. Verse 17 of Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
So the disciples, again, what did I say about the disciples? They're knuckleheads. The disciples miss it, right? <laughs> they show up and they're like, oh my gosh, I was able to cast out demons. Look what I can do, right? And it's like, this is awesome. Like that's, that's the disciples come back to Jesus. They're celebrating the power. And guess what? That's a natural response. And we miss it so often too, don't we? Like when I do something great for God, I feel like I've done something great for God. I focus on the thing right? Look at the thing that I did. Look at the ministry event that we had. Look at the, the gathering that we had. Look at the attendance. So often our minds are even drawn to think about the big ministry, the big brains on this person that we're listening to, the big buildings, the big shows of power. But what does Jesus say? Jesus' correction to his disciples say, hey, guess what, guys? The defeat has already happened. I've seen it with my own eyes. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's not your job to do it. And what does Jesus give us? He gives us his authority. He delegates to us. The same authority that Jesus has used to defeat Satan is within you and me right now. Like that's, the, that's amazing. That's an incredible joy. But it's not our authority. It's his and so what does he say the ultimate joy is? He says the ultimate joy is you're going to be with me in eternity. What does he say? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's census language. Like there's a census in heaven that's taken. And guess what? Your name is in there if you're a Christian. That's the joy. Satan's out. You're in. That's the joy of the Christian. You are personally known. You are personally secured. And what does he say? Nothing can ultimately harm you. He's talking to people who in just a few years are going to be murdered for their faith. But what he's saying is if your eternal security is completely secured in the work that I'm doing, guess what? Nothing on this earth can harm you. Nothing can ultimately take that away from you. You see, when you share Jesus with others, when you labor to help others find Jesus out of a joy-filled hope that Jesus has saved you, that Jesus is empowering you in your weaknesses and wants to be with you, that is attractive to others. That invites people in. It's the joy that we experience. So why do we go? Sent to go with Dad on a rescue mission to deliver Jesus to the people in our proximity. How do we go? We go in weakness and we go in power. And what is our ultimate joy? Our ultimate joy is an eternity with Jesus. So as we think about the vision of redeeming hope, helping others find Jesus by living all of life as missionaries of hope, what we see at the end of this is that joy in Jesus informs our mission. See, God is doing a work, and the, the good and bad news is he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me but he invites us along, like my dad at USA Mobility, <laughs> inviting us along because he wants to spend time with us. He wants us to see the joy of doing something together with him. God wants you. And that's why he's inviting you to come along with him. Abraham Kuyper said these words. He says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, my friends, he has looked at you before the foundation of the world 
and he has cried, mine. He says, you are mine. And as you respond to him in faith, as you respond to him in obedience to join him on his mission, we get to go out in the world and cry, his, his, his. He is empowering you in the midst of weaknesses to join him in his redemptive cry for the world. Our joy is Jesus, and Jesus' joy is you. That's what it means to help others find Jesus. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.